Welcome to Blink of an Eye, life stories of trauma, loss, awakenings, and epiphanies, beginning with one mom's journal entries recorded in real time of a catastrophic diving accident rendering her teenage son paralyzed from the neck down, and the courageous fight to save his life. Told through unedited text and journal entries and inspiring guest interviews, Blink of an Eye will take you on a powerful journey of advocacy and hope and an unvarnished look at the true nature of our relationships and interconnectedness in the face of an event that changes everything. Episode 21. Never underestimate the humanity of boys. August 8th, day four. Life can change in the blink of an eye. I want to tell you about the rest of a most remarkable day. But, oh, those pulsating sounds in the intensive care unit. If you've ever spent a lot of time in an ICU, you know them too, right? I don't know how the medical staff thinks around here. The sounds were sort of pounding in my head, even as I would talk. They were omnipresent, you know? blood pressure cuff that um, is, a, if you haven't done anything, that has not been working. And, um, oh, those sounds. I noticed, though, they were beginning to be incorporated into my days as part of my thinking but sort of in the background and sometimes not even there. I was aware that my brain was starting to, what was it? To compartmentalize these sounds so I could focus on other things, so I could at least think. I wondered to myself, is that what the intensive care unit medical staff does too? Compartmentalize? I suppose they have to in order to focus on their jobs. I mean, I knew those constant droning buzzers and beeps were still there, but it was like I was learning to sort of not pay attention to them. Do you know what I mean? Isn't that weird? I mean, the very machines that were keeping the score on Archer's life, I was beginning to drown out. I wondered to myself, is that why the staff doesn't respond to the buzzer requests of patients? I'd heard more than once in the last couple of days, the grumblings in the family waiting room about that. 
I wondered. Maybe that's a downside of clinical distancing. I had a text from James Schmucker who asked, Mrs. Semft, would today be a good time to come up? You remember James, Archer's friend from Cape May, who worked with Archer at the beach club. He was one of the ocean lifeguards on the beach, the one who was in the ocean too when Archer was. The one Archer told me he begged God to send to save him. I texted James back, sure, whenever you can. Archer is tired, but I'm sure he'd love to see you. James texted me, I work until 5.30 p.m. I'll be up after. I looked at my phone and it was already 4.40 in the afternoon. This has been a remarkable day. So many little epiphanies. I knew we were not alone. Right, Lord? We weren't. It was amazing to me that all those texts I had been sending to so many people who were checking in on us, telling them where we were and what had happened to Archer, and to please pray, were sort of being answered. No, I mean, they were being answered. I had told them Archer was so thirsty, but they weren't allowing him to drink anything. And they FedExed healing waters from Lourdes, the place of miracles in France. And I dabbed those waters on Archer's lips and the insides of his mouth, that holy water. I had texted them how cracked Archer's skin was becoming. And friends FedExed a box of lotions and Vaselines, which I gently put on his lips and rubbed on his arms and hands and legs and feet. It was truly miraculous. I cannot explain the depth of gratitude. I felt it for the love and the care that was coming our way. I also had texted to our family and friends, come, please come. While it was true that most of our friends were far away, three hours to Baltimore and almost an hour to Cape May, I said, please come. I knew my tendency if there was something I would like to have done, but I thought it might be asking too much of someone or place a burden on them that I just wouldn't ask. And with my family so far away and the expense of flying to Atlantic City being sizable if they did come. Well, I remember just texting, actually, without my usual hesitation. I texted, come. There was no time to let pride stand in the way. And that's just it. There was no time. But now, Archer needed to see them.
but I also knew the medical staff was not too keen on visitors. And I understood that. It was true. I could see how tired Archer would get, even after Petey left. And I wanted to protect Archer fiercely. But I could also see how much Archer needed human interaction with those he loved. And I could see how responsive he was to a loving, familiar face. Yes, come, I said. We were far away from what was familiar in every sense of being far away. I wasn't sure if anyone would come, but I said a prayer that they would. God is so good. We had visitors that day. I look back and wonder why intensive care units and trauma centers don't have simple ABC boards or let families know they could make them to use for communication with their loved one who can still think and blink even if they have suffered a spinal cord injury or a stroke or are on a ventilator. The blink of an eye is so powerful. Being understood, being responded to with love, both are so much a part of healing. Do you agree? And it's as if Archer's neck was strengthening too, as he would nod ever so slightly when he had the energy. <laughs> On second thought, I didn't know if maybe we were asking him to do something that was harmful. Oh, I prayed not. Dr. Radcliffe had said that once the rods and the plates were in his neck, that it was strong. It was still a long healing process, but that had to do with the spinal cord. Maybe we'll just go back to the blink of an eye. It certainly provided Archer some form of language. Speech. Such a cherished freedom. I took a picture of our ABC board front and back, and I texted it to Billy. Our neighbor and friend, Tony Gianoscoli, Danny G's dad, and Kathy G's husband, came to visit Archer this morning. I stood in the doorway and watched as Archer seemed to come alive when Tony entered the room. It was written in his eyes. Archer had played many a game of Monopoly and Dungeons and Dragons with Tony over the years into the late summer nights, strategically placing hundreds of small metal character pieces on the dining room table. I listened as Mr. Gianoscoli told Archer he had gone to church for him. And he was dead serious as he said it. It was Saturday. Oh, I guess it was first Saturday. I'd actually never heard Tony say he went to church ever in all the years I've known him. 
He's an accomplished lawyer with his own practice and works hard, including most weekends, even at the beach. Archer knew that about him, too. I watched Archer's eyes dance and sort of twinkle when Tony told him that. Like that news made him smile appreciatively. I mean, you know, if he could have smiled. I could tell it hit a deep, resonant chord. Sort of boy to boy, you know, with the two of them. Oh, I guess I should say man to man. Archer was growing before my eyes into a young man. But are men ever not boys? I can't imagine anything more comforting than for someone to tell you they have gone to Mass for you or made a special prayer request just for you. That's powerful, right? After Tony left, Archer closed his eyes. I suppose any effort was taking a lot out of him. I thought that might be what the medical staff thought. They might be right. But my sense was that it was like his body had relaxed a bit by the experience of knowing he was loved. So he could be tired. Do you know what I mean? Like satisfied enough to be relaxed and even tired. You know, when you sleep like a baby because you know everything is okay, rather than try to sleep because you know you are exhausted, oh, there's a difference. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it was a combination of both. I knew our daughter Paula and her boyfriend Michael were on their way, and so were my brother-in-law Bill Sanborn and their son Jack, Archer's cousin, driving a long way from Bethesda, Maryland. I knew seeing them would lift Archer up a lot. While Archer slept for some time, I went on a hunt to find out about physical therapy, getting Archer some water, and someone who could answer my questions about Archer's calorie intake. When I returned and re-entered Archer's room, I saw some flowers that had been delivered. I was still thinking of how lovely it was that Tony had come and that he had come to connect with his young friend, Archer. I just love that. Oh my goodness, I looked down the other hallway and it was, at least I thought it was, James Shields, one of Archer's friends from Baltimore, and his mom walking down the wide outside hallway of the trauma center. Seeing them both together was a surprise and like a breath of fresh air. I wondered how they got into the trauma unit so easily. Hmm, it was Saturday afternoon. James Shields and Archer played lacrosse together at McDonough High School in Baltimore, and I recognized James's mother from lacrosse games. 
but I had never spoken with her. I wasn't even sure of her name, but I was happy to see them. I had a chance to interview both of them five years later as part of our look back about this visit to Atlanta Care Hospital to see Archer. Here's an excerpt of that interview with James Shields and his mother, Philippa Shields. You were some of the very first people, friends, to come visit Archer in the hospital in Atlantic Care. So I want to thank you both for that. It was a tremendous sure. action that you made because Atlantic Care was, you know, not exactly around the corner. And and it made it just meant a great deal to us. So I don't know where you'd want to start um, in our time together uh, today. Uh, we can start anywhere. One point is is just August 5th. So we can start right then. I think it was the 5th or maybe the 6th that I actually found out. We were here at the beach. I was guarding, lifeguarding. Bethany Beach. Yeah, Bethany Beach. And I actually, I remember I got a text from, I don't know if you remember the Schmickles. Oliver Schmickle, Bert Schmickle. Oh, yes. Yeah, so they were, so we were, what were we, we were sophomores then. Yes, yeah, you were sophomores. Oliver was a senior and I got a text from him saying that, that Archer had an accident. Um, And I think that was either the day of or the six. And we didn't know much at the time, but it was kind of weird to be getting this, this message from from Ollie about Archer and, you know, an accident. He didn't know much about it. Um, and we were with the Hillgartners too. Mm. And then as the, as the information started filling in and we realized just how dire it was, we kind of impulsive. We were, before we knew it, we were driving up. And I think, cause at that point it was, I mean, Archer was in a pretty, pretty bad shape. Things weren't very clear. So we just made, I, it was the eighth, I guess. We just made the decision. We didn't even know directions. We just started driving, tried to catch the ferry, didn't end up catching the ferry. So we drove around first time into Atlantic City. I remember it, it happening and I'm sure it happened a lot faster for you guys, but even for us, everything just happened so fast. It did, they, um, there wasn't even a question about coming to see Archer. Yeah. It was, it was just a thing we had to do. We, you know, and I must say, I, I did feel like a bit of an intruder. It was a very personal thing for you, and, um, but I, I think I put myself in your shoes, and it was just awful. And there was nothing to do but come. That took my breath away when Philippa said, "There was nothing to do." but come. And they drove hours to get there and through three states impulsively, as James said. Hmm. It occurred to me that while there was no time for my hesitating and letting my pride get in the way of asking people to come, they had experienced a similar impulse to show up it really did take a certain amount of courage and moxie to just come. I hadn't thought about it before, but I suppose 
It was an intimate space. Our family all gathered with a touch-and-go situation, as James noted. Would you have come? I wonder what your thoughts are about coming. Well, if there is something I hope to have you understand, it is this. Come. Go. Yes, it is personal and intimate. Yes, it takes time and energy and perhaps courage too. And yes, it is so very, very worth it. And your presence will be so very, very appreciated. It is exactly what is needed for healing. You can't reclaim those moments in an intensive care unit, nor do you want to. But families in trauma and the friends of families in trauma may not realize just how much comfort they can derive and give with a visit a connection with a familiar face, even if just for a moment. A visit goes a long way for a family, a very, very long way for a patient. Don't deny yourself or your family member. I think the healing experience goes both ways. I do. And you will know if you have ever visited someone because it fills you up. You know. And the person in that bed, it fills them up immeasurably. You know, the human tendency for many people experiencing traumatic situations is to go private turn inward. And that's okay, of course. But if you could urge a family to consider reaching out, even if it's not their thing to reach out, or if you just go to them, it's a gift. For those families who might not have thought of the benefit to their family member to see a familiar face when they're lying in an ICU bed, Please consider receiving a visitor, even if they do just show up. It's a kindness to receive another's well-intended effort. I mean, isn't that what your mother always told you anyway? To say thank you to any well-intended gift, even if it didn't fit, wasn't your taste, or you didn't understand it. Yes, she did. I think it's the same with receiving visitors in the hospital or even into your home to see your loved one who is not doing well. You know, it doesn't matter how bad or frightening someone looks or if they can't talk or communicate. They are still a human being capable of being loved 
we certainly don't want to deny anyone that. And even if they are in really bad shape, the patient knows a visit of love. I think it's a heart-to-heart kind of thing, really. Even if they are sleeping or even passed out, the patient still knows they do. A soul always recognizes compassion. Yes, welcome visitors, and yes, go. And there was nothing to do but come. I just can't tell you what it meant to me because I didn't realize what a personal space it was. And it was so intimate for me when the two of you came. And I have this picture of both of you. I took a picture, like it was just crazy that I remember standing there watching you like I was just, it was just like I was in a different world. But Philippa, you were holding Archer's hand like, like a mother, like, like you would have held James's hand. And James, you were, you were right there like a brother in our, in our space. And it was really holy to me. It was very special. I'm glad that 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 is how you feel because I did, I did feel like, especially me, James knew Archer. I didn't know you and I didn't really know Archer. And I, so I did feel that this is, this is a little intrusive. Um, So I'm glad that, I'm glad you didn't feel like I was, intruding no and you know it's it's interesting i'm getting an insight right now that for people i mean many people have different reactions to different things but i don't suppose that i would be unusual in that how welcoming it is to have some one have the courage uh, not to mention, James, uh, the ordeal that you went through to have to go from Delaware, you know, across the ocean, across the bay, catch a ferry, figure it around, drive into New Jersey, figure out coming up the coast to Atlantic City. I mean, that's, that's amazing. But to come, the courage to, um, to come so immediately, I, I think is so, I was so appreciative. And I think it is, it would be, it would be, a message to send out to many how welcoming and important it is to do that yeah but i bet it was a no-brainer that we just yeah. went together yeah i felt like your child could be dying we don't know he you know because it was very touch and go and i remember it was a holy it was with your family then it was so it was a I did feel very intrusive, very intrusive. So we can just mark that out, that um, in feeling very intrusive, you weren't sure, yeah. but you still came. Yeah, yeah. You made the leap. Yeah. You made the leap, exactly, James, you made the leap. Yeah. 
it was remarkable to me, the impulse to, what is it exactly? The impulse of compassion to love and to take action. Yes, love in action. You know what I mean? James told me in this interview that they felt how touch-and-go it was receiving news that Archer's lung had collapsed. They had heard about the men paddling on Archer with bats to keep his lungs inflated, and then they heard how both of his lungs collapsed. I shared with them how the doctor had confirmed we almost lost Archer the night before. He and his mom acted on their intuition and just came. The Hill Gartners, the grandfather and the adult son whom they were sharing a beach house with, were Archer's and James's JV and varsity high school lacrosse coaches. I could only imagine what it was like for them, all hearing the news. And Philippa and James, they just got in the car headed to the ferry to cross the Delaware Bay where it meets the Atlantic Ocean and then drive to New Jersey. But what I learned in our interview was that they weren't able to do any of that and they actually drove around. I also learned what it was actually like for them coming. Yeah, I mean, and, and I didn't really know at all until I saw him. And when I saw him, well, first of all, me and Archer, we had only really met in high school, in ninth grade, when Arch came. And we were in the same advisory. We both shared a passion for art. So we, we formed a friendship pretty quickly. And, um, and I mean, that was why I was so, of course, we, ne we knew we needed to come as soon as possible. Um, but there was a lot of ambiguity in it and from what I heard. And then when I actually saw Archer there uh, with, you know, all the tubes and all just lying there, that's when it was kind of just like, oh my gosh, you know, I remember him. I remember him a week ago, two weeks ago, I, you know, being the Archer that I remembered being so outgoing, so talented to see him there in that, um, in that space and in that hospital on that bed, it just kind of, showed how quickly something like that can happen. And it was only then really that I realized the, you know, the full, and I remember, I mean, that I don't remember much of the car ride back, but we were there, we were probably there for what, half an hour. Yeah, Max. And, yeah, and then we were, and I don't remember the car ride home, but it was just, Blur. and uh, yeah, I mean, an eye opener is, is cliche, but I mean, it was just something, and I know you use the word holy a lot, but I mean, it was, it was, you know, not to say like ominous because there, I mean, it was, but it definitely was, I mean, it was hard and it was just seeing him there and realizing the full extent of what had happened and how it had happened so quickly. So just to see that, not really, yeah, I think I learned a lot from it. Yeah. Nothing else mattered. I can remember that all of us in the house, nothing else, everything else was trivial everything we were there at the beach or beach house we were packing everything was just stuff everything became totally irrelevant uh, and all we could think about was was this is archer's life 
This could be my son. It could be. It haunted me too, actually. It could have been any one of my beautiful children or anybody else's child at the beach. It could have been your child. It could have. It just happened to be Archer. It's really amazing to me, the goodness and generosity of moms. You know, I think that thought that it could have been my son or my daughter, horrific as it was, was strangely unifying. I suppose this is another aspect of trauma and crisis. Have you ever thought about that? Our individual crises are not born alone. They have been experienced by others or things that are similar. And they live in the hearts of still others who are praying it is not their crisis. And all these hearts are opened together, motivated by different reasons for opening, but they are all open and beating together. So I think trauma is something we cannot only bear together. It's something we can work through together collectively, like listening together to this story and making sense of our own lives. And then we can even share our trauma stories in a good way. You can too. And not hold on to them anymore, but digest them, metabolize them, and make sense of them in our lives. Isn't that the best we can do for ourselves and for each other? I think so. Our stories shape us. They do. We are also more than our stories. Yes, Archer and my family were in bad shape. We needed help in every way. And we were about to need more help. And I had no idea that soon we would be on our knees. But we were more than that. And those around us were creating a healing field for us. Philippa, an almost stranger to me then, who did an extraordinary thing for us. You know, crazy. I just don't know what inspired you to take on the role that you did, feeding us. You fed, you single-handedly, the way I see it, orchestrated an army of others to feed our family. And it wasn't just for that short period of time, which oftentimes happens when, when good people, you know, pull out the, you know, what, what's that expression? I think it's a Midwestern expression, but about like the wagon or the, you know, they, they, they circle around and bring food, but mm. you, you orchestrated it for 
almost a year. I think, I, I think everybody wanted to do something and, and we just didn't know what to do. It, so if I hadn't have done it, somebody else would have done it. So easy to set up a sign up genius, especially when you have 160 people that want are, are, are desperate to do something. And then it just happened that I did the sign up genius and everybody, we all felt at such a loss as to, you know, we here we are all sitting pretty. We we have our children. They're they're healthy and, and look where you were. Um, so I think we all just felt we were, we were sitting in this place of privilege and we needed to do something and everybody felt the same way. So um, it was very easy. It was very easy and it was not, it was just something that had to be done. And I don't feel, I, I actually feel guilty that I, I feel like I helped you to a certain extent and then that was it. And then you're left and you have such a nothing's got easier for you. And those 160 other moms, and I think some dads perhaps joined in as well. Oh, yes, yes. They, um, they will live in my heart forever. Even when your life has changed forever, upside down, you remember the kindnesses. You know, we were being helped by so many people. Archer was sleeping again, or at least resting, if ever he slept in this loud hospital. I knew James Schmucker was coming later, and I had told Archer. Is that something? Archer has two dear friends named James, and they are both James S's. Yeah, it was around 7.30 p.m. I got a text from James Schmucker. He had arrived. Archer was still sleeping. I left Archer's bedside and went into the hallway to meet James. I also wanted to prepare James for seeing Archer. James was quiet and I think a sensitive young man. I knew he was a deep thinker. I was fond of him. I don't know why but I felt it was very important to prepare him. Before James entered Archer's room 3117, I took him aside. I was also dying to talk with him about what he remembered from the accident. I was happy Archer was sleeping so he and I might have a little bit of time to talk. Do you know what? I found the actual audio recording on my phone from five years ago of this time he and I had outside Archer's room. It was a marvel to me that I had it. But I remembered how I told James I was afraid I would forget. I'll share the part about what James told me about Archer's accident with you later. But here's an excerpt of the rest of the recording. Thank you, James. Right now, Archer uh, has some feeling in his very top of his chest, and as and we think he's got some some um, what will hopefully end up being pretty good um, bicep uh, muscle action here. Mm -hmm. 
but he got he doesn't feel below basically they coat the nipple line on his chest all the way over and basically all the way down so but i believe that touch is still really important for him in his recovery because i believe that he will walk again and swim again and draw again and skateboard again and do all the cook again and volleyball okay. and croquet all the things that he loves exactly um so when you go talk to him just get up close and personal you can touch him it's really good for him he likes it he's got a lot of cords and tunes so you just have to be careful of all those because basically he is absolutely uh wired up you see five different monitors six different monitors no one two three four five six seven different monitors going on here not to mention these two machines right there plus that one ten so a lot on yeah so um you know you just it's so but go on yeah i want i'll let it i'll tell them that you're here and then you guys can have some time okay you want the plan yeah. okay thank you again arch hi how are you honey look who's here <laughs> yeah just happy to see you know. oh uh, we have a system for how it is that we communicate right now and he's trying to obviously tell me something should i get the board yeah So what we do, James, is we start with some of the basic expressions that Archie usually likes. So I say, is there anything here that you need? So um, get the nurse, adjust your bed, adjust your bed. Okay, I'll go get the nurse. No, I, I, they won't allow me to adjust your bed. So something you think I can do? Okay, so we're going to work on that. Yeah, we do that. These are um, most commonly used expressions right now. And if it's something else, you can use this when you talk to Archer. Okay. Ask him like, what what line? Is it the first first row, mm -hmm. second row, and he'll nod. And then you just go to the letter and you make the sentence. Okay. Okay. So I'll leave this here for you guys. But first of all, you want to sit up a little bit. Yeah. So you can see James. Okay. I have. To, I'm gonna go get. Need to get a nurse for that. Yeah. I know I can't put you up. It's just too dangerous, darling, on your neck. Okay. All right. So hang on. I remember this like it was a minute ago. I went in search of a nurse and put my phone on pause. We returned and it took two nurses over six minutes to gently lift up Archer's chest and bank pillows behind him just enough so that his head was a little lifted rather than flat on the bed. All right, you're up now, I said. I began to leave to give the boys some time with each other. Archer began to blink his eyes, slowly, but a lot. What else do you need, sweetheart? I asked him. Do you want the ABC board? And he slowly faintly nodded yes do you want the letter side i asked okay 
He was very intense. I started pointing to each letter with the little dangling whiteboard marker. Archer was very serious. I don't know why, but I had this feeling that this was going to take some time and I could feel the gravity in Archer's demeanor. Should I get a piece of paper, Arch? He was very deliberate. Yes, in his nod. I told James to hang on. I reached for one of my Home Depot legal pads that Billy had brought me from home to ride on. Archer was patient, and he waited. And then he began. Why? Oh. You. And with each letter, he intently looked at me until I wrote it down. And then he would begin on the next letter. When he finished, he turned his intense gaze to look directly at James. I turned my phone back on. So you saved my life. That's what you want to tell James. I can't imagine Archer saw anyone or anything in that moment other than his friend, James Schmucker, as his eyes locked on James in a most intense and loving gaze. It was a most remarkable moment. I still have that piece of paper to this day. I think we were all just taking in the gravity of it all. When Archer began blinking his eyes, slowly, but a lot, like non-stop. What is it? I wondered. And then I had this feeling. Give James a hug. I'm going to give you a hug. I'm going to help you with that. Come on over on this side. And I'm going to lift up his arms so he can put them around you. You lift up that one and put it on, on gentle, right? It's not going to hurt him, but you have to just... That's right. I got to I'm going to lift up your arm, baby. There you go. There you go. There you go. Archer's hands with these rolls under our arms. So that when he paints and cooks again, his hands won't be stuck. I took a lot out of him. Loves you. So important. It was so beautiful. I just watched. I had draped Archer's arms around James, but Archer had closed his eyes and it appeared to me fully giving and receiving this hug 
of deep gratitude. I love those boys. I loved that moment. I knew Archer had deep friendships. Five years later, as part of our look back, my son Pete and I discussed this moment and the power of that ABC board for Archer. Here's an excerpt of that interview. I do remember the story of him spelling out on the... Yeah, how he spelled out, you saved my life. Yep. Yeah. Intense. Intense. It is heavy. And think, Petey, that would not have been at all possible had you not developed that ABC board from the dollar store. Yeah, I know that was probably something Archer wanted to really say to James and thank him for. Yeah. Yes, I think it was something Archer really wanted to say and thank James for. Yeah. Isn't communication extraordinary? Yeah, always find a way. Always find a way. I guess we can always find a way. That is what I was learning. I remembered feeling very grateful for the simplest ability to communicate with Archer. I mean, I felt deeply, deeply grateful. I still do, honestly. Thank you, God. And thank you so very much, God, that Archer has the mental faculties to still be able to communicate with us. Even though that was the last day we would be able to rely on nods anymore, faint as they were. All the angels and saints, I thank you because I think you must have gathered to help my boys as I marveled at how quickly they had come up with the simple but sophisticated mechanism of communication that allowed Archer to communicate with us even though all he had was the ability to faintly nod and blink his eyes. I smiled. Mankind's ingenuity is a miracle itself. And so is our desire to be understood. You know, I mean, beginning with humans writing in clay probably 4,000 years ago, to inventing the printing press, to making a simple ABC board. Yes, we yearn to communicate with each other. Thank you, Lord, for the inspiration you gave Pete and Billy. I think what we yearn to express most is gratitude. I sat down in the little chair in the corner. I could see the small vase of garden flowers my children brought me today from the Cape May garden. 
I've always loved August when the zinnias are in full bloom. I looked at their simple, vibrant colors and composed a text update to my family. Here is the actual text I sent. 8815. I am again sorry it is so late. The days are so full. Today has been a day of small miracles. Thank God. We know God hears each and every one of the thousands of prayers. The ventilator is now doing only 60% of the breathing. And Archer is off the medication to regulate his blood pressure, which means he can have more nutrients in his feeding tube, which has been at 240 calories a day, except the 12 hours where he couldn't tolerate any feeding during the collapsed lung episode. All good. And he nodded. He can feel the undersides of his arms and maybe once felt a thumb. We feel very hopeful. His medical team is very pleased. I didn't fully comprehend how touch and go the other night was. We need him to stay strong, to breathe on his own while we wait for the lungs to repair themselves. Mother Nature is a miracle worker. He had wonderful visitors that lit up his eyes, which are clear and bright, and the pallor in his face is very good again. Still, no feeling otherwise in his beautiful young body, but we all know it will come, and I can tell he believes that too. Our collective job is to keep that spirit and belief alive in him. From cousins driving all the way from Bethesda to McDonough friends driving all the way from Bethany Beach, Delaware to texts and messages and even a beautiful flower arrangement and a package of lotions and Vaseline, which I use for his face and lips and the bottles of Lord's holy water for miracles FedEx here that I swabbed his mouth with, even though he's not to have anything to drink. It's been a very full day. It's been an amazing day. There were two never-forget moments. The first was the mini whiteboard Pete bought of the alphabet on one side, and they wrote the collection of 15 of the phrases Archer has communicated since yesterday on the other side, such that he can pick quickly with a small nod of his head, and we can respond. Things like, Swab mouth, suction nose, suction mouth, itch chest, etc. Pete was leaving to drive back to Baltimore for a day and was telling Archer goodbye. Archer tried to mouth something and Petey asked if he wanted to use the board. Yes, nod. Pete went through the list of 15 regular needs and Archer nodded no to each. Puzzled. Pete went to the alphabet side. First letter, H. Second letter, U. Yep, Archer was asking for a hug. Pete leaned down to scoop his big hands and arms under Archer, and I draped Archer's heavy, motionless arms around Pete. It was so tender 
and blissful. Enough said. Thank you, God, for good boys and men. Later this evening, Archer had a visit from James Schmucker, Archer's good friend who was a lifeguard at the beach club where Archer works where he had the accident. James had been part of Archer's rescue, having been swimming with Archer and thus was the first to see him. James told me Archer was head down, floating with his legs and arms dangling down. Thinking at first Archer was messing with him, he wasn't sure. Then he realized he said Archer was face down easily over a minute. While James swam him to shore, he said that Archer said, I think I'm paralyzed and I need to get the water out of my lungs. After James told me the story, I went to wake Archer up. Archer became very bright-eyed and asked, via our evolving communication system, to sit up. After I called the nurses and that seemingly simple request, which is not a simple task, was accomplished, I asked if he wanted to use the board. Yes. He began. Why? Oh. You. S. A. V. E. D. And you know the rest. You saved my life. Archer beamed. It was like the love of God himself shining through Archer's eyes for his friend. It was a moment. We did nothing but take it in. It was so beautiful. I then asked Arch if he wanted to hug James, and he nodded yes. <laughs> it was a deep and touching moment. I said to myself, never underestimate the depth of humanity young men are capable of. Good night, XO. I also texted a photo I took of Archer with his arms draped around James for a hug. Within minutes of my sending out the update as I close now, I wanted to tell you, I received dozens and dozens of texts from friends. It was so unexpected. It was late. But our people were waiting to hear. That was remarkable to me. Oh, we are so blessed. And I was feeling how interconnected we really were. I could feel in that hospital room a deep emotional connection to everyone outside the walls of the room 3117 and way beyond Atlantic City, and that we were all moved together tonight. We were. 
as I sat there in the eerie dark of the room, there was no doubt in my mind and in my heart that we were all touched by the tender gratitude for life in the midst of great physical suffering and by the heroism to move on instinct to save life. We do impact each other in amazing ways. And no sooner had I sent that family update text than I also began to hear from some of Archer's young friends. <laughs> that was rather remarkable too. 16 and 17-year-old boys. And I knew some were probably on their week of summer vacation or getting ready to go. It was after midnight on a Saturday night in the summer, and here they were texting me. As I read them, I realized how worried they were. And I could also see how they were growing into young men trying to lift us up. Here are a couple of those texts. Jennings Schweitzer in Baltimore. Mrs. Sempt, I love you and I love your whole family. I pray to God every day and night for the safety of Archer because he is more than a brother to me. He is one of my best friends and has always been nothing but nice to me. I have been thinking of all the great times we have had and one in particular I would like to share with you. One day, Archer and I were walking back to your house through Roland Park Public School baseball field. We came across a baseball someone had left. Archer picked it up and threw it to me. We played catch the entire way back to your house. Later, when I went home, I kept the baseball, saying to myself that this would be a symbol of mine and Archer's friendship. At the time, it was just a baseball, but I have held on to it over the past year, and it has sat in my room. Now, this time, I pick it up, and I hold it every day. It is now my most precious belonging. I plan to bring it on my visit this Monday when I come to see him, because, like the baseball, Archer and my friendship stayed strong over the past year and will stay strong. Received from Mikey Detterman on vacation in Bethany Beach, Maryland. It is so hard to take it all in, Mrs. Sempt. Make sure he knows I love him. Good night. Received from Basil Aburn in Baltimore. It's honestly so hard to take in and understand. I love Archer so much and just want to do anything to help him. I can't wait to come see him this week. Please keep me updated whenever possible. I texted each one of Archer's friends. Yes, it will. I will. I will. And to all, I said, see you soon. And then I added, go to bed. It was almost 1 a.m. 
boys. They are capable of such tenderness. Through tragedy, despite tragedy, or perhaps because of tragedy, never underestimate the humanity of boys. It has been a most remarkable day. I will close with a last text. It is from my dear friend, Jessica Dibb. I think she summed it up. So very beyond beautiful, Louise. So sacred and holy. God is good. These precious moments coming straight from love are the medicine, the elixir that heals. I thank you so much for this update and story. I feel the holiness coming from Archer and his room. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Life is so precious. Sending love, hope for everything, obtain everything. You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Please subscribe on our site, blinkofaneyepodcast.com, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen. If you have a story to share, please contact Louise Phipps Semp directly, louise at blinkofaneyepodcast.com. She would love to hear from you.